you can open up to 2 Kings, uh, page 281 of the Pew Bibles. We're going to kick it off in 24, towards the end, 18, and then go right through to 25, 21. So page 281. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother's name was Hamatal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as Jehoiakim had done. It was because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end he thrust them from his presence. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem and with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled towards the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers and sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the movable stands, which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, was more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 27 feet high. The bronze capital on top of one pillar was four and a half feet high and was decorated with a network and pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its network was similar. The commander of the guard took as prisoners Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, 
he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisers. He also took the secretary, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, and 60 of his men who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. The second reading is on page 837. It's the book of 2 Thessalonians, starting at verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfil every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let me add my welcome. We uh, pick up in that reading, that first reading we had from Kings. It would be great if you had that open in front of you. And as much as I uh, appreciate Andrew's confidence that I'll do an amazing job at uh, looking at this part of of God's word, I'd prefer the Lord's help. And so why don't we pray? Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you that you speak to us even words that are hard to hear for our benefit. Uh, We pray that as we come to a hard part of your word, uh, it would do us good, uh, that we would be humbled and more reliant on you, that we would be changed to love you more. Uh, Father, speak to us by your spirit through your word today, we pray. Amen. Here's a little snapshot of Sydney I read the other day. I was walking up the hill from my apartment at dusk when I saw a small silver car with a parking ticket on its windscreen. The envelope looked strange. Uh, When I got closer, I saw someone had written on it in black texter. Here's what they wrote. I just backed into your car, and now I'm pretending to write you a note. And after that's an expletive that I'm not going to repeat. The person who wrote that snapshot said, for them it captured Sydney's spirit, a, a place you take lightly at your peril, a place where rage lurks beneath the beauty. For me, it captured something of our desire to try and get away with whatever we can. 
and it's not just Sydney. Uh, there's something commonly human about that. A, a confidence and, and even sometimes a sadness that judgment won't come. Uh, there's a saying that's credited to lots of people. Uh, God will forgive, that's his job. Uh, and even if you don't know the quote, uh, many people live by that. Uh, for some people, uh, the possibility there might be no judgment is actually for them a relief. But as we look at conflict, as we look at injustice around the world, in our lives, the, the hurts we've had, many would see actually a, a lack of final judgment is the greatest tragedy or would be the greatest tragedy. And, and wherever it is that you sit on that scale, whether it's kind of no judgment would be a relief through to, no, no, I really want to see it happen. God's word from Kings this morning is quite clear. God is faithful in judgment. He is faithful in judgment. It is clear in the way that the judgment falls on Jerusalem uh, and even more in the reason it falls. So we come to the end of Kings. Uh, Really, we come to the end of the kingdom. So after, if you've been with us over the previous weeks, after the dizzying heights of being a superpower at the start of 1 Kings, about 1000 BC, we've watched that kingdom just kind of gradually crumble before our eyes and fall apart. Uh, it, it was weakened uh, by a split after Solomon's death by, by 722 BC. The northern 10 tribes just didn't exist. They'd been wiped out. And our reading uh, that Steve brought to us picks up on, on around 597 BC. Zedekiah is enthroned, but really he's just arrived to oversee devastation as judgment is falling heavily on on Jerusalem. So the lead-up gives a a sense of just how hopeless it is. You know, he's received the crown. Wow, what a great time to come to the throne. Uh, In chapter 23, uh, before where we picked up the reading, um, Zedekiah's brother, a guy called Jehoaz, he ruled for only three months. Uh, before Egypt decided that they would actually replace him uh, with the next brother, Jehoiakim. It was just a little pointer to show what a weak kingdom they were. They couldn't even choose their own kings. Um, Egypt is going to pick which brother will be king. Uh, Now this brother, Jehoiakim, he reigns for 11 years, basically as Egypt's lapdog. That's all Judah. We get to chapter 24. Uh, Babylon pressures Egypt. So Babylon is up, kind of up here. Jerusalem is down the middle, Egypt's down there. Babylon comes down and pressures Egypt to back off. And so now Judah's Babylon's lapdog. And when Jehoiakim takes over from his father, Babylon decides to flex its power and besieges Jerusalem. So 24 verse 12, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiachin prisoner. Judah is now on the edge of of oblivion. Their judgment is seen first by by what's left and then it's seen by what's lost. So stage stage one of the judgment is is what's left. So from 597 BC, Babylon proceeds to to take the cream of Judah away. So in in 24 verse 13, they take all the treasures from the temple and the palace. They strip all the wealth from it. Uh, And then from verse 14 to 16, they start taking quality people. They take away uh, the warriors. They take away the businessmen, the artisans. They take away royalty. So the judgment is seen in what's left. 24 verse 14 at the end there. Only the poorest people of the land were left. That is, they are left as a, a futureless ghost town. 
It's a shell of what it once was. But stage two of the judgment is what's lost. Zedekiah gets made king over the dregs of Jerusalem. Uh, and in 24 verse 20, we get the, the one recorded policy uh, he actually makes. He decides to rebel against the superpower Babylon. It's, it's foolish. Uh, Babylon are not particularly intimidated. They just see oh, it's an invitation. Uh, so in 25 verse 1, they lay siege again to Jerusalem. Uh, by verse 3, you would have noticed that they're starving. Uh, when you've got an army camped around the outside, uh, there's nowhere you can trade, there's nowhere you can go to grow your crops. Gradually your supplies just dwindle and dwindle. Uh, they've got no sustenance. In verse 4 and 5, there, there's a breach in the northern walls. The defence breaks for a moment. There's all this action. While it's all going on, the king and his entourage decide, we're going to make a break for it. They charge down, try and get down to the south, uh, and they're quickly swept up. And so by verse 7, they lose their leadership. It's particularly brutal, verse 7, Zedekiah... He's not killed, no, no worse for him. His sons are slaughtered before his eyes and his eyes are taken out. The rest of his life, his final memory playing over and over in his mind is the death of his boys. And the Babylonians are unrelenting. By verse 10, the walls have collapsed and in verse 11, a multitude are taken off to exile. They've lost their people. And then there's this long... Description from verse 13 to 21 is detailed account of how the temple gets dismantled. Why so much attention there? Well, they've lost their God. As Jerusalem have felt the full force of judgment, there is no food, there is no protection, there are no leaders, there are no people, and they have no God. There's a practice uh, amongst Jewish people, um, I understand even amongst uh, conservative Orthodox Jews today, uh, that when a, a child, an adult child, marries outside the faith or commits to another religion, you know, gets baptised as a Christian or something like that, uh, a funeral is held for them. You know, the parents are powerfully and symbolically saying, you are dead to me. You know, it's so much more painful, isn't it, than, than simply cutting them out of a will. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah, possessions matter, but, but they're no match for the relationships, the acknowledgement. You know, perhaps you've had broken friendships like that. Perhaps you know, estranged family members that bring that home. Because 2 Kings 25, the summary in verse 21, that's the kind of sentence that's happened to Jerusalem. Right at the end of verse 21, Judah went into captivity away from her land. In the context we've got to see, that's not just a physical judgment. Uh, to leave the land is to be cast out of relationship with God and all the good things he's offered. You know, it's like the first sinners, Adam and Eve, cast out from his presence. You know, Jerusalem's judgment has arrived. And just as clear as why. The faithfulness of God. That God has patiently kept his word. This is not a, a spur-of-the-moment decision. It's been brewing for centuries. Uh, we get a sense uh, from how the final four kings in Judah are all described. Uh, so back in 23 verse 32... Jehoahaz is described, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. It's the exactly same description for Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and Zedekiah, the same phrase, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as their fathers. That is, it's been ongoing, relentless. And it's not that they haven't been warned by God. Now, 24 verse 2, 
Uh, the Lord brings nations in to destroy Judah. Why? It's in accordance to the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Now, they weren't an ignorant people, they were an obstinate people. And there's a chilling line, I think, in 24 verse 4. So after all the idolatry and violence of Manasseh's reign, all the innocent blood that was shed, right at the end of 24 verse 4, the Lord was not willing to forgive. See, if you know the God of the Bible, that's a remarkable line. If you know the God of Exodus 34, the God who is gracious and compassionate, the one who is slow to anger and abounding in love, if you know him... It hits a point where this same God of grace and love will refuse forgiveness and is unwilling to forgive. Now, why are they judged? Well, in 25 verse 20, it's because of the Lord's anger that all this happened to Jerusalem and Judah, and in the end, he thrust them from his presence. Why are they judged? Because God is patiently faithful. He is faithful to goodness. He is faithful to his word. God is a God who is faithful in judgment. And three ways that's going to impact us, impact us to change if we understand that. First, we need to be honest. Judgment is real. So this is really an anticlimactic ending. If you've been following through Kings, it, it, it hasn't gone better. It's just gone down and fairly fast with a couple of blips of improvement. It's an anticlimax, but in many ways it's a reminder of how this world will end. As we read in 2 Thessalonians, uh, Andrew read it to us, that the Lord Jesus will one day be revealed in blazing fire with his powerful angels and he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. You must be honest. Judgment is real. God is a God of righteous anger, not because he's a petty God, but he loves justice and he hates innocent suffering. 